In this episode, I speak with Kieran O'Neill. Kieran realized his dream, becoming an international boxer for the England national team. Despite enjoying success on the surface, the constant pressure to maintain weight and feelings of not being good enough led to a series of misfortunes. From battling an eating disorder to ending up couch surfing in large amounts of debt. Through his work with coaches and mentors, Kieran was able to transform his pain into his greatest strength, taking the lead from his own mentors to become a coach himself, now leading others to help them achieve total mental performance. You are listening to In Your Element, where we uncover stories, thoughts, and ideas dedicated to helping you find your own element. Let's dive right in. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the In Your Element podcast. I am sat here virtually across from my friend Kieran, um, and I'm really excited to have you on, Kieran. Just to start off, why don't you give us a quick primer about you, uh, what you do, your story, and what is exciting you at this point in time? Yeah, well, where do I start? So if I was to give the, the bullet points, started out in... Uh, Left school at 16, went into software sales, managed to sell 400k uh, pounds sterling, a new business straight off the bat. Um, went on to box, managed to get onto the England team after that, uh, managed to fight around the world, including in Gibraltar, which was uh, really, really fun and an amazing experience. Uh, managed to get injured, suffered with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, uh, and an eating disorder, which took me off the England team and uh, knocked me down a little bit, then spent six years in software sales in central London, um, had loads of fun, loads of learnings. And then uh, I'm also the founder of Total Mental Performance. So we help high performers manage challenging emotions, work through self-limiting beliefs um, for two reasons. Number one, to avoid personal and professional failure. And then the second part is to hit peak performance. And that's what I'm up to today. So that was the, I don't know, the highlight reel, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> The cliff notes, I guess. Um, wow, that is that is quite a story you have there. Um, I want to turn back the clock a little bit. Why don't you take us back to um, some of those challenges that you are facing? Uh, you know, you you mentioned that you um, you were let go from from the boxing team. Like, walk us through that point in your life and what you were feeling and what inspired like you to use that to to grow and move on. Yeah, sure. So uh, if we go back into just boxing as a whole, it's a very, very ruthless sport. It's a very lonely sport, very selfish sport. You know, it's all about how do I take on my opponent? How do I beat him? How do I win? Then uh, it's also how can I be faster, stronger, better? And it is a life-changing sport. And I think uh, for a lot of young kids, particularly ones that are very hyperactive, that have a lot of energy, it's a very good way of teaching them really strong values. Um, but when taken to extremes, it is a, it is a dangerous sport. And, uh, you know, I went from a relative nobody um, on, on the boxing scene to manage to get on the England team uh, within, let's say, five, four or five years, um, which, was, which was great fun. And what I figured out really by working with uh, my own mental performance coach was actually it was all being driven by the fear of not being good enough, the fear of not being worthy, the fear of, not being able to to live up to my potential, not being able to win, all of these different things. Um, and, you know, it was really good because it allowed me to drive all of that insecurity and negative uh, emotion 
into something and actually you know go on to achieve but really it was built on really poor foundations and it will come to a head where uh i'm five five seven five eight um or 172 centimeters whatever that translates to um i was weighing 56 kilos so i was a giant for my weight um which was great from a strategic perspective, but actually I was under eating. Uh, I was starving myself. I was overtraining. I was training three times a day, six days a week, uh, doing like 1500 calories. There's only so long you can do that. And it's something that I see with lots of overachievers and high performers is they're driven by this fear of failure. But on the surface, they're very confident. They're very calm, very collected. You, you'd never believe it. But actually underneath that, they're being driven by this, this fear of failure, this fear of not being good enough. Which is great because it's taken to a certain level, but actually, if you think of the elite, elite world-class performers, they have to break through that because at some point it's all going to come crashing down. And for me, that came out in the way of uh, an eating disorder. So I was binge eating because um, I was massively underweight. I was spiraling between, you know, my, my fight weight, then back up to say 60, 61 kilos, back down to 56. Doesn't sound like a lot, but at those lighter weight classes, actually, it's a much bigger percentage of your body weight that you're fluctuating. Um, and it just got to a place where I didn't even want to fight anymore. And I started to realize that actually on an identity level, the boxing wasn't who I wanted to be, but my subconscious was telling me, no, no, you've got to go. You've got to push through no matter what. And we often get taught about how to, you know, never give up, always, always dig in and, and find a way through. And I, and I was consistently doing that, but actually my body and my mind was telling me no, but I was ignoring that. And there's a balance between, you know, giving up and moving on. And I don't think I was considering another life outside of that. So when your whole identity essentially breaks, uh, I, was, I was stuck. I didn't want to leave the house for two weeks. Um, I was driving down the motorway at 100 miles an hour. I was going to crash the car, um, but then ended up not crashing the car. Right before I was about to do it, there was like a whisper in my ear, which was like, dude, don't do it. Okay. I pulled into this uh, service station. I was like shaking and crying. My mum found me and it was really like, really hard, really, really tough place. Um, and then I had to kind of rebuild slowly. You know, I'd already had a little bit of sales, sales success. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I can kind of go back into that and, and find a way. And I found a mentor who um, was really willing to, to help me out. Um, and he kind of pulled me through that uh, and just slowly but surely started rebuilding my confidence went into software sales and I just started running and that was it. I just saw, right. Okay, let's go. And I started to build up my confidence. I racked up a lot of debt from um, both the boxing, but also from a business I tried that had failed. So I was like 15,000 pounds in debt. So I was like really starting from scratch and everything like psychologically, physically, um, commercially, like in every, financially, every single way you can imagine. And uh, I had to really rebuild and bounce back and, and through that journey and everything that I learned, it helped me to really go, you know what, what have I got to lose? And I think we often forget that we, we all have nothing to lose. We'll have responsibilities. You know, we've got bills to pay, families to look after, but everything isn't as scary as, as we think. And what we're often afraid of when it does happen is never as bad as the pictures we painted it. So uh, throughout that, it was really rebuilding my confidence. And, you know, once, once I had a, a mechanism, i.e., make this many phone calls, close this many deals and you clear off that debt and you can live well. That was it. Again, I just ran it and ran and ran it and ran and ran and ran. So that was like the darker period and, and how I pulled myself out of that. And obviously I had the help of um, a lady called Hazel Gale. She's a world-class mental performance coach. She's amazing. Uh, 
guy called Ron Goddard, who's a tech investor and advisor. He really helped me through that. Um, and then loads of friends and like obviously mum, dad all helped me through that. But I couldn't have done it if I hadn't raised my hand and recognised actually I need help. I can't do this on my own. I think that's something that we as men are getting better at, but we're not quite where we need to be. Wow, Kieran. Um, yeah, there's that's um, that's a lot. Yeah, um, it's so inspiring to see like how you've used that to get to to where you are now. And there was a lot you were going over there that really resonated with me. You mentioned some challenges around your um, your your eating disorder. This feeling of not feeling good enough um imposter syndrome i think is a big a big um a big theme there i think it's a, a a topic that a lot of people who um have this sort of type a personality um they have and in particular i'm really curious to know when you were in the thick of it you know when you, you, you mentioned your mind and body was like telling you no, but there was some part of you that was telling you to keep going. And I think we, like you mentioned, a lot of us have that mental programming to just, you know, never give up, keep going. And it's something that, you know, in the past year, I've found myself struggling with as well. And you'd be surprised how many um, parallels I'm, I'm, I'm seeing here. But I'd be curious, in the, in the moment, did you notice... Like, were you aware of what was happening, that your life was taking a turn for the worse? Or were there people that were, like, reminding you that helped you to snap out of it? Yeah, I uh, definitely wasn't. I knew something was wrong, but I, I wasn't aware as to how wrong. And mm. strong emotions make us really stupid. Like, they make us so stupid. All of our options cut down, uh, our time frames cut down, our ability to process information and come up with ideas and creativity, it all just goes... So when you're in it, Sometimes, and this is what I advise to all of our clients, is looking at their boardrooms, their personal boardrooms. So if we think about a company, a company has, you know, the chief marketing officer, the chief financial officer, it's got the CEO, it's got all of these different things. And whenever the CEO is, is given a challenge, he has an expert in his boardroom that he can go to. If not, he's got a team of advisors uh, above him that he can usually go to too. Uh, and it's the same in our personal lives or whatever endeavor. If you have that, that, boardroom of mentors they can really help keep you in check so um it was quite fascinating because when i worked with hazel she helped me realize that actually i didn't want to box that wasn't the thing that i really wanted to do it's just i was telling myself i had to um but she said that she knew that from day one that's what was going on but it actually took me a year and a half to come to that realization and she said i could have told you but you'd have ignored me you had to come to that realization yourself and that's the sign of a world-class coach you know, coaches can tell you, do this, do this, do this. But if you're not ready to hear the message, you're not gonna, you're not gonna take it. So I think, um, I think deep down you kind of know something's off, but maybe not to the extent you realise. And it's about having the people around you. But I mean, I, my mum and dad have been telling me that for years, and I was ignoring them. I was like, no, you don't know what it's like. You know, you don't know what it's like to be a fighter. You don't know what it's like. Well, my dad did, but he only did it for a little bit. Um, I was like, they don't really understand and then they'll never get me. And it took me to find people that are very experienced in what it was I was trying to do to then tell them. And I said that to everyone, try and find advisors or friends that have been there and done that in terms of what it is that we're trying to do and just listen to them. And, and 
you don't have to listen to everything they say. You don't have to follow every single one of their words, but they're, they're going to know a thing or two. You know, they've been around the block. So I think they helped me appreciate what it was that uh, what the situation was and looking at the brutal facts because we often ignore them. Wow. Um, Kieran, I'm really curious. You mentioned that you were surrounded by a lot of great support during this time. Would you say that, um, I guess the question is here, how important do you feel it is to have like good coaches and mentors to help you through times like this? Oh, I can honestly say I wouldn't be here without a couple of those. Um, I actually mentioned this on on my own podcast, Those Winter Performance, the other day, uh, where I interviewed Hazel. And if it wasn't for her, I honestly don't think I'd be here. Um, and I definitely wouldn't be achieving what I'm achieving now um, or what I achieved in the past in, in sales without them. Because they've been there and they've done it. And if they haven't, they've been in similar arenas. So that they, they can share insights and, and knowledge. And if we arrogantly say to ourselves, I've got this, I can do this all on my own, I, it's easy it just doesn't work because you're going to miss out on so many different things you're going to miss out on you know the mistakes that they made they can help you avoid or if you're at least going to make it yourself what to do when you get out of it um you're going to miss out on you're going to miss out on just having somebody else having a pair of eyes on your mindset or on what you're doing as well because we can be as self-aware as, as we want but there's always going to be stuff that we're missing and it only takes one small bit of insight or a bit of advice that can change the whole game whether that's personally professionally in business whatever um i i I can honestly say and that's actually what's inspired me to become a coach and um and launch total commence performance you know i mean what's amazing is i always ask myself this question if we didn't get paid for this would i still do it it's like yeah and actually i've kind of done this for a long time when i was boxing i was mentoring younger fighters and, and helping them with their mindset and helping them get better. And then when I was in software sales, I'd always try and help out the juniors and, and, and help them develop and grow and learn. And, and now that I'm doing it now, it's just, just a blessing. Like sometimes we get messages from clients that are saying like, you know, I don't think we'd be here without you guys. And, or we get messages saying, you know, we've managed, I don't know what you did. Cause I don't, t- I don't give out business advice. I just give them personal management, mindset management tools and techniques. I'm like, I don't know what you did, but I've managed to, double my price in, in in the case of three months and it was just because of my self-limiting beliefs around my own value and what I could offer the world and, and I think yeah that's that it's seeing that firsthand and and being the beneficiary of that is what's enabled me to go and do what I do and that's why I have unwaverable uh, belief in what we do like I actually said this to my, a couple of my coaches I feel redundant giving you money because the amount of value you've added to my life just it feels like a waste it feels so stupid i wish i could give you something else and and that's kind of what's inspired me to train as a mental performance coach a cognitive hypnotherapist nlp practitioner um yeah and that's how i landed here today that's amazing and do you still have what would you say now that about the voice in your head that that feeling that your mind and body was telling you oh, no, I shouldn't be doing this. Do you still have that feeling time to time or has it completely gone away? Like, what, what is that like now? Well, here's the thing. We often think that, oh, well, once I've solved that, it's fine, but it's not. We're going to experience the same emotions, the same thoughts and feelings, no matter where we are, you know? But when you understand where that comes from and you understand the root causes of those feelings, of those insecurities, those self-limiting beliefs, it just takes the pressure down because it's like, okay, so one of my, my drivers 
was the fear of not being good enough. And that's really scary. And I think that's the common human neurosis is we're not good enough. We're not lovable. We're not acceptable. We all struggle with that. So um, whenever that feeling pops up, because I'm not, because I'm aware of it and I have tools and techniques to manage that, it just doesn't get in the way as much. And, you know, I'm still human. I still have intense emotion. I go, whoa, okay. It's just, I can recognize it instead of fighting it. Because I think we either try to numb out and try to ignore emotions and feelings and go, oh, I don't need these. Uh, push them away. Either overwork, overtrain, uh, overstudy, just do too much. Or maybe it's YouTube, maybe it's you know Netflix or whatever. We basically try and numb all of those feelings out. When actually, when you just understand them and where they're coming from, and it's usually from our childhood or upbringing, and we kind of just go, okay. All right. Yeah. So that not feeling good enough things here today. Brilliant. What, what's the trigger there? Oh, it's, I mean, when I first come to Dubai, for example, uh, lived in London for four years um, before that Hertfordshire, um, which is just north of London and uh, come to Dubai. And I've done a little bit of traveling with boxing, but nothing to like, you know, a city of this much, this much crazy architecture or this much ostentatious wealth or anything like that. So I felt, all of a sudden, that not feeling good enough feeling came up for it. I hadn't had that in a long time. I was like, whoa, hey, buddy. Hey, it's been a while. <laughs> cool. Excellent. What is it? What, what is it? And I, I, was, I was reflecting on it. And I quickly got um, an A4 notebook, just journaled everything out. And actually, it was, it was all the grandness of everything that just sort of caught, caught me by surprise. I wasn't expecting it. Um, so then now that I understand where that comes from, and actually, it comes from quite a funny story. Uh, my dad was my football manager. We were bottom of the bottom league and he benched me every game. So that's how you know you're the worst player in the league. And we can laugh at that now <laughs> because it is funny. But as a 14-year-old boy, you interpret that as I'm not good enough. So naturally I went to boxing because you can't get substituted in boxing. You can't be on the bench in boxing. And you know, you you understand that, oh, that's where that comes from. And that kind of inner child can just relax because you you're you're listening, you're not pushing in the way, so to speak. So I still get the feelings, I still get the, the thoughts. I don't believe anyone is, you know, even Tony Robbins is, isn't 100% great all the time. He talks about it, he even he has moments, but he, what he's amazing is at changing his state and he can go, okay, cool, yeah, I'm not gonna feel that anymore, I'm gonna feel this instead. And that takes training, that takes time. Um, so yeah, I, I do still feel them, but it's again, understanding where they come from and having a toolkit to manage them. Yeah. Oh, Tony Robbins uh, is amazing. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard him talk about his state changing techniques sometimes. I remember one of them that I heard about was he'd just jump on a trampoline, <laughs> which yeah, sounded really funny, but he's a real believer in the power of like physical movement to change your state. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, Kieran, one of the things I wanted to ask you is on this topic of, you know, not feeling good enough um we, you know we've spoken about how it's quite a common trait among like you know really high performers and something i'd be curious about is would you say this might actually be a could this be a good thing in some cases like could this actually drive people to maybe it's a reason why they are a high performer this constant feeling that's part of their drive so what would you say about those who have that feeling that they you know, they don't feel good enough, but they might be afraid to lose that because they feel it may have contributed to their success. Absolutely. Great question. And it's the, over, I call it the overachievers paradox, which is that fear of failure gets us to a certain level. And even though it gets us to a certain level, we, we fear if we let that part go, that part of us go, 
that we won't achieve anymore. And it's almost like the only reason we're successful is because of that insane amount of drive. It's because we've been overworking or, or, or it's that, that fear. But, you know, you see this in companies, what got them from zero to one million in revenue and then one to five and five to 10 and 10 to 25, they're completely different mindsets. They're completely different companies. So for a lot of high performers, that will get them to the top, but it won't necessarily keep them there. Um, so for those ones that they, they, they've hit that glass ceiling and for whatever reason, they're either burning out, they aren't feeling satisfied. And some of our clients, you know, making millions and they are just terrified of, but I stop working. What if I stop making and earning? And it's like, well, like you can, you've got a whole team that you've hired. You've got a whole infrastructure. You've got the whole system. You know, you, do you need to work that hard? And like, well, this is what's got me here. So, but what's going to get you to the next phase? Is it is it the same as this, or is it someone else? Well, no, maybe not. So when you can kind of get hold of that mirror and and give them that perspective, they start to realise, okay. But it's it's scary because you know we 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 do what's worked, and if that worked in the past, why wouldn't it work now? It's only when that intense emotion or that burnout starts to get hold of us is when we need to start to really listen and go, ah, okay. I need to, I need to think, yeah, I need to do something about this. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's really interesting what you're saying about, you know, the same mindset that it got a company company from like zero to 1 million isn't the same. They got them from one to five and so on. That's really interesting because it's like in, in life, right? We all go through different phases and what works in one season of your life might not be what works in another season. And I've experienced this quite recently where, you know, I graduated in 2019 and I'm, you know, like the mindset that you use throughout the first couple of years of your like education, like university, it's not the same mindset that can keep you going happy and successfully like later in life. It's completely different, like dynamic. And I was trying to apply the same programs and habits that I used in university. And, you know, I don't think that that's quite as sustainable. Everyone says it, you know, like your career is much more of a marathon than it is like a sprint. And that really, that really rung true. Um, and something I'd love to love to hear from you is throughout your work with um, your clients now in this, um, this new adventure of yours in coaching, is there anything in particular that you have learned from working with your clients? Yeah, uh, first of all, it's an honor to work with every single one of my clients because they, they trust me and they trust my team to, to look after them and help them and ask them the question. I also learned as well that humans are inherently tough. Like we're really, really, really tough. And, you know, some of these amazing people have actually had really, really tough backgrounds and to see how they adapt and they still find a way, it just blows my mind. You know, we're talking using whether it's, business leaders or you know successful entrepreneurs and you think on the surface they're, they're nailing it they're smashing it and actually behind them is you know memories of abuse memories of you know trauma um really dark hard difficult times yet they find a way to adapt and overcome and, and still find a way to to win in their arenas you know so i think that's the biggest learning for me is that humans are inherently tough and even so it doesn't have to be some big massive traumatic event it could be a smaller event uh, as, as simple as you know your dad telling you you're not good enough and not even not even actually saying it just showing you that in in, in actions can impact someone's life for the rest of their life and it's those little moments it could be a passing comment you know yeah well you'll never be able to do that or yeah but 
you're never going to be like your brother. And, and there's just so many little comments that people pick up and how that can influence their life. So I think human, humans being inter- inherently tough is one. I think number two is how just tiny little moments in people's lives can shape their, their identities, their personalities, the way that they spend their life. Um, I could round that off with the third one. I think um, how much we've been able to impact people's businesses without actually giving them business advice. So, and, and it all starts with self, because I think most of us have a lot of the answers within us. It's just our emotions and, and mindsets distract us from, from getting those. So just by helping somebody minimize their anxiety or deal with their anger a little bit better or build their confidence, um, and just the impact it has on, on their businesses and their teams. It's really, really amazing. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd say they're the, they're the three weeks learnings. Awesome. I think it's always great when, as someone who's in a mentorship, mentoring position or a coaching position that they actually are also, um, learning as well from the experience. And there's a quote that I, that I read that, um, I'm, I can't even remember entirely where it comes from. But it may have been actually from um, uh, Buddhist philosophy, but it's the idea that, that the best teachers learn, the best students teach, and I think that's that's so that's so true. And um, okay, so what I want to do now is I want to touch on um, this topic of total mental performance a bit more because I think it's really fascinating. Um, and what I'd love to learn is from your perspective. What are some of the more surprising things that you have found that lead to, you know, really good or, or total mental performance? Yeah, good question. So I think I think when I started this, really, it, it came from a desire to help others and help other people that were in high-pressure environments. So for me, it was always boxing or software sales. Very, very ruthless. Very, you're only as good as your last fight, your, your last month, your last quarter. So I think for me, what's I, whilst I kind of liked the suffering in it, there were times where I over suffered. I think we, if we can enjoy some of our suffering, we can choose our suffering. Then actually, that kind of makes things a bit more fun. So I just started helping people out. Didn't even um, didn't even charge at the beginning. I just helped out some friends, and then they started paying me because they were seeing so much value. And then they started referring friends, and it just exploded, and it just grew much bigger than I anticipated. And through that. I think I learned that everyone has an inkling of something they'd like to work on. And I think we have to go to the places we don't, we don't want to go, but we kind of know that we have to because our capacity for self-perception is infinite. Like we can deceive ourselves forever. Like it's really, really easy for us to kind of go, Ooh, yeah, insecurity. Mm, I'm not that insecure. Maybe a little bit, but not that much, not as much as this guy, you know, like you, it's easy for us to kind of run away from, from those challenging emotions, those self-limiting beliefs. So I think the ability for the human mind to self-deceive, and as somebody that's self-deceived a lot in the past and, and had to kind of open my eyes to that, I think that's been pretty crazy. Um, but I also think putting things into a really simple framework and has also been quite helpful. For example, the way that we work is we work over three phases in terms of mental performance so the first phase is the foundations phase and that's really putting in the psychological foundations and uh, mental resilience playbook for example the presenting issue could be someone's feeling really anxious whether it's about their business whether it's about what's going on in the future maybe they're feeling angry they're kicking off 
uh, at home, maybe they're kicking off in the office or whatever, maybe feeling a bit insecure. Some people really hate talking about money and they feel a lot of guilt and shame around that area. Whatever the presenting issue is, we always start with that because that's often the entry point to really create a lot of change. And once we've shifted that, um, we've gone back to the root cause, whether it's a memory or a moment in life that was causing that. And we essentially update that subconscious line of code. Um, then we go on to the second phase, which is mastery. And it's then once we shift something, often there's something else underneath it that's often much bigger. So then we can get to work on that and the profound change that comes off the back of that tends to be even, even bigger. Um, so within that phase, it's really getting to deeper parts of the psyche and understanding, okay, what is it that's holding us back? And then after that, we then hit peak. And the peak phase really is about lifestyle design. We've usually shifted a lot of that emotional baggage or a lot of the psychological work that's always needed to be done, but just haven't been addressed. And now we're looking at things like lifestyle design. So some people are night owls, but they don't design their lives around night owls for whatever reason. So we kind of explore that. Okay, well, when are you at your peak? When do you do your best work? How can we get you into flow state? How do we structure your week? How do we put some some training, some journaling, some supplementation, and really by the time somebody gets to phase three, the person that they were at the beginning of phase one, they don't even recognize. Or even when the time we do these uh, pre and post phase interviews, so we'll ask them before phase one, well, what is it that you're looking for help with? How can we help? What's the question? And we, we record that. And then it gets to the end of phase one. And then we do a, a post phase interview. And then we send that video to them back. So they can not only see the difference, but they can also just understand that no matter where they are, if in the future they're in a really bad place, they can overcome it and they can find a way back. So that's kind of the, I think, the way that we've kind of progressed and, and grown and kind of evolved as, as we've gone. I think that's, uh, that's, that's awesome. And I'm really curious, how did you develop this, you know, three, three phase, uh, three phase framework? Was that something that you naturally sort of did with people you were helping and then you kind of made it more of a structured thing or like walk us through how you developed that? For sure. So, uh, I think I took a lot of my training from cognitive hypnotherapy and NLP. I think that's kind of the basis of where uh, having been on, on the client side of that for over five years and then obviously in the coaching side of that as well. Uh, I started with that. So the first phase tends to be more on the, the deeper emotional work. Um, but essentially I was just working with people in blocks of four sessions and that was it. So I realized as I was reviewing, going through all of our client work and was watching the journeys, I went through client by client. And okay, well, how have they gone through? I started to notice some patterns. And by the time everybody was in eight to 12, they were hitting that peak stage. Whereas everybody was in that one to four stage, it was a little lot more emotional, it was a bit heavier, it was a bit harder. But actually, that um, that that was where most of the change. So I started to not notice the patterns, and then I said, okay, I think it's really important that uh, when somebody's going through a program like ours, that they have clarity as to what the journey looks like. And at that time, before I set that up, I didn't have that. For our clients it was just let's see where it goes but then these patterns started to emerge so we went, okay well how can we structure that and how can we optimize each of these phases so then we started to go okay well at this phase we'd like to achieve x y and z this phase would like x y and z so by the time they come out the end of the, the entire program and not everybody goes through to the end of the program some people could do a phase one and ask that's enough for them but they're done like they're good so then we high five them and then, then we go right mission over mission accomplished let's go some people move on to like a monthly 
accountability check-in and that's just for maintenance to ensure that they're keeping these changes and we're always dealing with things as they pop up. Um, but I think it's for experience. We then start to chop it down and go, oh, okay, here are the patterns that we're seeing. So let's communicate that. And as we started to communicate that, um, our clients started to recognize, oh yeah, that makes sense. I do want to do the foundations and the mastery. Or some people even come in at peak. Some people are already smashing it out of the park. They're trying to find an edge. So then at that stage, we put them straight onto the peak phase and we just run the playbook through there too. Mm. That's really cool. And something you mentioned earlier was throughout one of these phases that um, you mentioned something about like supplementation and whatnot. I'm really curious, what role does like health and like health optimization play in this process? Yeah, so supplements are like the last thing. <laughs> supplements are like the... You know, like the cherry on the top, you know, there's no magic supplement we can give to our clients. It's going to completely change the game. It all starts with having to do the work. Same way when you're working out, you know, if you're going to put some muscle on, we give you all the whey protein powder in the world and, and some, some BCAA, BCAAs, but you're not, and you've got to go to the gym. So uh, the mind and the body are just completely interlinked. Um, let, let's, do a, let's play a quick game. Think about a time when you were feeling let's say stressed. Can you think of a time where it's recently, the last few months or whatever? Can you think of a specific time? Yeah, for sure. So where would you point in your body as to that memory? If you could point somewhere in your body, how would you feel I would that? Say, yeah, probably like, like maybe my chest area. Yeah. And is that a heavy feeling or a light feeling? It would be like heavy. Yeah, definitely heavy. Yeah. So just in that very quick example, you can see that actually there's, there's a memory and it's associated to a feeling and you feel it in a specific part of the body, right? Um, so that's not all just mental. There is a physical reaction that goes on. And if we think about, um, I think it's crazy to ignore mental performance and physical performance. Now we go in via the mental route and then people then through the changes that they make start to adapt their physiology and, and whatever. Um, so they both go hand in hand on the health side of things. You know, everything we eat, our body then turns into what we are physically are. So if we think about ourselves as a, I don't know if you like Formula One, but if we think of ourselves as like a Formula One car and we can have the great best electrics in the world, you know, we can have the best strategist, we can have all the data, but actually if we're not looking after the car itself, you know, making sure that there's, there's good enough tires, the chassis is strong. Um, we don't have, we have the right driver, the driver's educated on what he needs to do and make the right decisions. You're not going to get anywhere. So within that process, you know, people people often say they can't sleep because of these strong negative emotions about keeping them up. And thus by shifting that negative emotion and giving them an evening routine to wind down, guess what? Their sleep goes up. Their sleep goes up. Their stress tolerance goes up because they're recovering properly. They have more energy. They can think more clearly. So they really do go hand in hand. I think it's often overlooked. Um, and we always recommend our clients, you know, just get moving three times a week hard as a, as a minimum, whatever that is. Don't care whether you go to the gym, don't care whether you play squash, tennis, whatever. Just do whatever it is that you enjoy, just move. And so they definitely go hand in hand. Mm, that's really interesting. And what are some of your favorite ways of moving? Yeah, so I train, I do weightlifting three times a week. And so I don't know if this is being recorded, but you can probably see I'm quite a skinny, slim guy. Uh, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to break any records to become a bodybuilder. Um, but I, I train heavy three times a week. Then I'm trying to get one run a, 
a week in and I get one swim, whether it's in the pool or at the beach. Um, and I find that's just a really good way of recharging. Uh, now, if I'm super packed and my schedule is completely slammed, then uh, I've got a skipping rope. So I'll just go out onto the balcony and uh, Tony Robbins style jump up and down for 10 minutes, uh, put a quick sprint and maybe do some press ups, get back to, to, to work. Um, was doing a little bit more boxing recently um, till I injured the ligaments in my in my right uh, in my right kind of like elbow area like up here. Um, but that's kind of what I do to try and recharge and 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 also it's it's a fact it's almost like a factory reset. If you can be really present within your workouts, again, it helps increase creativity. When are your best ideas? They're not when you're sat at your desk trying to be creative. They're often when you're out for a walk, you're out running, you're you're in the shower or whatever. You know, so making those they're almost psychological pit stops as well as physical pit stops um it's really really important yeah definitely having that downtime is such a big part of the problem solving process as well and and you know creativity it's really interesting because we can't hold that much in our conscious mind at once you know there are some studies that have shown you can only hold like four to like six like chunks of information at any one time but your like your subconscious is this massive like parallel processing machine and you can only really like turn that on when you're not actively engaged in the very thing you're trying to solve right if you're trying to work on this like complex problem you've got a decision to make and you just think about it all the time you can't use that massively parallel processing machine so you've got to do something else um and let it work on that and I think it's 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 awesome you know you might be in the shower you have this massive spark of inspiration the solution comes to you or even I've heard people like dreaming about like problems and then you know seeing that I think that's really cool as well and it's definitely really important um I'm also really curious as well what is your take on um kind of work-life balance and um you know what part does that play into achieving total mental performance? Yeah, great question. So I think thinking of yourself as a corporate athlete, if you work in the corporate world, if you work in business um, or in any field, if you see yourself as a sprinter and if you think about a sprinter when they're training, what do they do? They set themselves up, they have a pre-sprint routine, they sprint and they walk back. And the way that the world has been built is very much in that industrial revolution of between this hour and this hour, you churn and go and go and go and go and go. Humans aren't machines, we're animals. We forget that. So I think it's really important to have those sprints and structured rests. For example, after this call, I've got another call 30 minutes after. I'm giving myself permission to do nothing. But if I want to respond to emails, I can. If I want to go and do some work, I can. But also, my mind and my body tell me, just have some water and chill out, maybe watch a boxing video. That's totally fine too, because I recognize that if I book myself back to back to back to back, so I've got another call after that, and then dinners this evening, I'll burn out. So I have these structured periods where I sprint, I go like we're doing right now, and then I rest. So I think work-life balance really is all about making sure that you have those structured rests, because in those, and the way you, you kind of, because we often think, oh, I don't have time to rest or whatever. I need to work all the time. The way that you kind of get around that is you just recognize that actually it's in no structured rest. Your brain is still working. Your brain is still finding a way. Your brain is still processing. It's still, it's still doing all of that. 
So even if you, even if you feel guilty or, or shameful for resting or not being productive all the time, actually, if you give yourself permission to rest, when you do turn on, you'll be much better. But then also, you're still working when you're resting anyway. And so I think making sure you have structured rest and that, that could be exercising at lunchtime during a, a work day, even if you're at the office, just finding a way, going for a 30-minute jog, in, out, go. Could be um, once a month. I often try and recommend this to all of my clients is once a month, just having a, a break, even if it's staying at a hotel in the same, I think that's what's made lockdown and COVID so hard was like you couldn't escape. But even just now as things are opening up, getting a hotel booked somewhere that you can go and stay for just a weekend even if you get bored and do nothing, it's fine. It's just a change of scenery and it allows you to just calm down. You have something to look forward to. I always recommend, you know, clients just get a massage once every couple of weeks. Just allow your body and your mind to just be present and, and relaxed and slow down. Having those structured rests. Rest is underrated and no one recognizes it. And the old school ways of just being in the, in the office 10 hours a day, actually, you're not producing 10 hours of work. And if you are, guess what? You're probably going to burn out. So you better make your money and get out quick. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. Mm, yeah, totally. And that idea of trying to find a change in scenery, I think is so important. Throughout lockdown, I think we've all had our own strategies for, for coping with it. And for me personally, I needed to make sure that I got my, you know, hour of outdoor time exercise, at least like every day. That's what kept me sane. And I think it's, it's so important. I'd be really curious what have you found throughout the last year plus that um that you've really learned from the you know the pandemic and covid i think uh it made us all aware of structures that aren't working anymore i think that's a wonderful um think about you know i used to live in in just by london bridge and used to go up to shoreditch so i used to get on the northern line before about about 8.15, every day. And anybody that hasn't done that in London, you know, there's 8 million inhabitants there and then there's about another 4 million that commute in. So I was literally face-to-face -face with somebody's armpit every single morning and it used, I used to it just dread it. And on top of that, I had a girlfriend at the time that was in Tooting. <laughs> so sometimes I'd go from Tooting to Old Street and it just used to absolutely demolish me. I'd get to work and be exhausted, having to stand in uncomfortable positions, squash, claustrophobic. People are recognizing that they don't want to go back to that world anymore. And why should they? They can work remotely. So I think uh, a lot of inherent structures should hopefully change. Uh, so I think that, that, that was quite interesting. I think, um, I think people had a lot of time to reflect on their lives and, and you know, recognize actually they weren't living the life that they wanted to. And this period of, of being inside and, and, and being in has allowed them to reflect a lot and figure out what is it that they want to do. So that's another, again, a positive thing, I think. Um, there's a lot, of, it's a lot of people that have had psychological issues that have now come to the forefront because they can't numb out or distract, whether that's through partying or going out or meetings or work or whatever. And I think that's been useful. Um, I think a lot of us have been very fortunate to be in the UK and, and the Western world during those moments. You know, there's a lot of other places where this disruption has really decimated lives. So I think most of the people that are listening to this podcast are probably okay. You know, they, they, like, like we've been quite fortunate. Don't get me wrong. There's always personal tragedy. There's always 
you know, family members passing away and I'm not discrediting any of that, but if you think about the wider global impact, like, you know, you look at India, you look at countries like, like that, as tough as it's been, we've also been very fortunate. We have to count, count, you know, our lucky stars, I, I think, but I'm, I'm very weighted towards gratitude and, and I, I, I'm one of the guys where the cup's always half full, even if it was a quarter full, I'm still happy with the, with the water I've got. Yeah, I think you're, you're so right. There's a lot that we've learned about the structures this last year that just hasn't been working for us. And one of the things that I have really tried to take on board from this last year is just the fact that everything was just kind of slowed down. Everything's like paused. And in a world which was going so incredibly fast, we all were forced to slow down. And as you mentioned, confront a lot of these like feelings that we possibly were numbing out with the use of like overworking, you know, um, all the different things that we could normally do when we had these liberties that we just had to like confront. And I think while of course there's a lot of tragedy the last year, there's a lot that we have been able to learn from. I think we'll all come out of this like a lot stronger as well, which is which is really nice. Um, okay, so I'm really curious, being where you are right now and looking back at your younger self a couple of years ago, is there any advice that you'd give yourself? I think, well, I, I was diagnosed with late ADHD. Um, so I got diagnosed with ADHD last year. And um, for those who don't know what the ins and outs of ADHD, um, it's called attention deficit hyperactive disorder. I don't believe it's a disorder. I believe it's just a different neuro wiring, neurochemical wiring. Uh, and essentially these people get half the amount of dopamine than others. Um, which means they're highly, highly creative, but they're also highly distractible. Uh, they are always, they're often very engaging and they have lots of fun interacting, but then also they can, they can get quite overwhelmed. Uh, when they find something that they love, they become obsessive and they, they really go for it. But that often that comes at the cost of, you know, relationships and things like that. So if that was a couple of years ago, if I could have given myself the heads up, so, hey, dude, you got ADHD, that would have been, a, <laughs> that would have been very helpful because I, I always wondered what is it about me that just doesn't just isn't quite wired like everyone else what is it that that that's causes these crazy emotions that are quite strong this obsessiveness to get things done you know so i think that's um that's the advice i'd give <laughs> i think i'd give them just give them the diagnosis and say go and get that checked out uh, with hindsight that wasn't an option i would probably say just take more perspective and I, I'll probably in a couple of years time I'll probably say that again to me today uh, but just take perspective you know look at where you're at um, even if things are tough this this is all just part of the story and if you don't like the story pick up the pen and write another one um, and that's something that I I did it's something called the self-authoring program which was game-changing by uh, Jordan Peterson and that that completely changed my future um, often I look at I go back to it I look at the things I wrote and I've achieved a lot of it I think Wow, I wasn't consciously thinking every day that's what I was going to achieve. I just did it. I think writing on a deep structure just allowed me to go and get it done. So I think those would be the that'd be the advice to pass back. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, thank you for sharing, Kieran. I think it's been such an interesting conversation having you on and opening up about your story and your journey so far. I think it's really inspiring, and there's a lot that we can take away from this. 
Just before we wrap up, if anyone out there is curious about you, the work that you're doing with Total Mental Performance, how can they find out more? Sure. So uh, there are three places. Uh, number one is if you just search or go on to www.totalmentalperformance.com. That's more about the work that we do uh, with high performance. Uh, the second place is if you go to Total Mental Performance on Instagram, then you can find uh, our, our Total Mental Performance page. If it's specifically me that you're interested in, I um, I post probably about once a week, once every two weeks, and it's usually just little bits about you know men's performance psychology life the way that i'm experiencing the world uh that is kieran louise o'neill which is k-y-i-n-l-u-i-s-o-n-e-i-l-l -L. um and that's you can follow me on instagram as well and um, but always get in touch uh on the website as well you can always get in touch there too awesome well i'll make sure to leave some links in the episode show notes for anyone who's curious and wants to find out more so Kieran, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for doing this and sharing your story with us. It's been an amazing conversation. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the show. In Your Element uncovers stories and ideas of people living in their element. If you know someone who has a great story or have a story of your own you'd like to share, then get in touch and join our growing community at inyourelement.fm. I would love to see you back here for next episode. As always, keep being you, keep crushing life and keep finding your element. I'll see you in the next one.